So we say yes, so we say yes, so we say yes, so we say yes, so we say yes. Is anybody out there saying yes to God? Thank you, Lord. Bless your holy name. We are here today, God, because you are so amazing. We bless you. We thank you for all that you're doing. Again, for including us, God, in this amazing adventure. God, of discovering your will and walking things out on earth in these days, and we say yes. We say yes, 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 God, that you would pour your spirit out upon your people. God, according to your promises in, in, in Scripture, God, that you would pour your spirit out in these days. God, there would be dreams and vision and empowerment and authority and clarity and purpose and joy in the Holy Spirit. God, that we would see signs and wonders and deliverance and salvation. God, this is our priority, God. And for that purpose, we ask you to open your word to us again, yes. like you always do, so faithfully, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So um, we're clearly, clearly, clearly not going to finish chapter 8 in Daniel today. I've been going over notes, besides having computer crashes, and I almost kept thinking it's the devil doesn't want me teaching this. It was one of those weeks because it was just so crazy. Well, he probably doesn't. He probably doesn't, but that's okay. It's, it's going to happen. <laughs> I, if I didn't have notes, I could teach this, actually, but it's better, it is better with notes. So, um, but do keep me in prayer for next week because I will not be here, and, but we will be moving forward in two weeks. Look forward to doing that with you guys. Um, again, just if you're new and there's new people, um, the red stuff, um, sometimes because these are spoken notes, and you can read this, I, I don't want to go over it every week, but because there's spoken notes, there's highlights and emphasis and typefaces are different sizes, they're for me. So when you get the notes and they look weird, I apologize. Typos, I partially apologize. Um, again, I don't, um, I don't jump over scriptures because they don't fit what I believe. I jump over them for the sake of timing. Could you push the button off on that? Thank you. Um, so the, the, the real biblical bottom line, everything that's going on right now, is that Israel needs to get saved. I mean, that really is, that's our, our real prayer for Israel is that they would accept their one and only Messiah. And until then, there are situations that have to occur, they have to occur, and they will occur no matter how good of an intent we might have as Bible students to try to reverse things or convince God otherwise. We're going to look at that a little today. And of course, again, we're not just looking for information. And, you know, sometimes people who, um, particularly unbelievers, they'll call me friends who are unbelievers and they'll say, so what's the bottom line? So what's happening next? So like sort of give me like the cliff notes. And the reality is the way God has structured it, no one really knows the whole story yet. He, he's purposely done this to keep us prayerfully, studiously, desperate. So we don't literally think, I got this, now I could run with it, and we'd end up making all the same mistakes that the church has done, the synagogue has done, over and over and over again. The requirement is that you're in his will, that you remain in his will. It's the whole storyline. So Israel does need to get saved, and there's people getting saved there. That's the real good news, is that there are people getting saved. What's happening on earth, even in America, all the anti-Semitism that's crazy right now, I'm right in the middle of New York. I still have family, some family there, and people are panicking. There's a real freak out in the Jewish community right now, and some of this is they need their savior. Mm -hmm. 
They need their Savior. So, we're, you know, our prayer for the Jew is that they find Jesus, and that's why we're here. I often think about why we never, we were so shut down in our citizenship efforts. Half the Jews are in America. Just about half. All the Jews on earth are in America. They need to hear the gospel here, and they need to hear it there. So last week we addressed, um, also, by the way, and I have this same note, read Habakkuk chapter 1. That was spectacular. Now, last week we addressed Daniel chapter 7, and, um, and, and I yesterday, I suggested, yesterday I suggested that you read it again. I just suggest, it's good, it's a, it, I hopefully, hopefully you did. I'm going to sort of quickly go through it. My notes are extended and extended and extended. I took half of them and I lumped them into notes for next week. But chapter 7 is critical. There's, there's a direct correlation between chapter 2 chapter 7 and chapter 8. They have to do with prophetic interpretations by Daniel. We're watching a holy man grow in his own life, which is way cool for us because it actually confirms to us that we could still be growing and in fact should still be growing. So if you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, you have not yet arrived. Or 80s, you have not yet. We'll arrive when we arrive. And up until then, we should, the, the invitation and the example here is to be pressing in. So we're watching Daniel grow from a young man who was stubborn for God early, but humble, and he had already found favor early. And, um, and then we see him maturing. And seven was actually the first revelation that was received by Daniel for himself. Of course, it's for everybody who would care to read it afterward. But this guy, was he's such an, ama he's such an amazing man. So uh, we're going to look, um, look at chapter seven quickly, and like I do, sometimes I make the, ver the verses or the very small type just so they're there so you don't have to hunt them down, but we're not going to go through all of seven because we went through it last week. So Daniel had a vision, and he says in, chap in verse 2 of Daniel 7, I saw in my vision by night, meaning it was a night vision, so either he was laying in bed and saw it visually or it was a dream. There's Sometimes they look a little cloudy in our understanding of whether it's a uh, literally a full, you know, you're, you're full asleep dream or you're having an open vision. But he says, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. This is very important because much trouble activates as the sea is stirred up. And sometimes when we see things happening on earth, because especially the Western church, our grid is God would not stir up trouble. Well, it's contrary to Scripture. God absolutely stirs up trouble because those are typically the times when most people get saved. So God is doing it. The four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. So this is the image size reduced because we're racing through chapter 7. But that's a graphic of the four beasts. And you can see that first three, they're all weird, but the guy in the back spooky weird. But none of them are similar. One's sort of a bear, one's sort of a lion, and one is a, a leopard with four heads. And remember the four. We're going to get to the, the four again because there's correlations where in, it's, a, it's a sort of cool in teaching us even to interpret our own dreams. What Daniel sees in, in chapter 7 and what Daniel sees in chapter 8 are different but functionally the same thing. So just because God spoke to you with, I don't know what, hair curlers and donuts last week and it made great prophetic sense don't keep waiting for hair curlers and donuts next week god really is creative 
So there are things that some, like there is a love language that he wants to establish with us, I, I believe. But sometimes just, I mean, really, it comes down to blessed or the flexible. It's like the guy who our pastor used to say, he knew someone who got filled with the Holy Spirit at an altar call praying under the piano. So he was now convinced to get filled with the Holy Spirit, you had to pray under the piano. So, I mean, which are limited to like, what, six, eight people in service, that's, that's no good. If they could fit. If they could fit under the piano. So the point is, though, is that it's, remember, too, that this, God is very jealous over his word, and so he hides things from the arrogant, from the, um, you know, the one who just comes in for the shallow dive. He, he blesses that. He blesses our even casual study to lure us into the word. But he wants us to press in in humility, saying, God, what are you saying? What are you meaning? What are you speaking about? But as the word starts building up in you, it starts making a little more sense when you start, like horns, they typically mean strength or power or dominion. We know that. There's certain things that God uses symbolically, like almost like a legend on a map. But a lot of times he'll just blow your mind with a new way to do it because he's trying to get us to think bigger than we often have a tendency to think. So he says, in, where are we now? Okay, we're in verse... Seven. Okay. Do I? Am I missing the number seven on there? No. Oh, there it is. I see it on the side, hanging out. After this, I saw in the night vision, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns. And there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, one coming up among the ten, which would make for eleven, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. So what he's talking about here, something had to do with the emergence of the small horn that took out three of the other horns. But we don't have an explanation here, and we see a little bit of explanation in Daniel 8, but I think we're going to see more of an explanation when it happens. These things will be clearer to us when they actually occur. And, you know, I'm not knocking guys who sell books. I'm simply saying that sometimes people will say, I am sure this means this. And I will talk a little bit about my friend Dan Bruce, who I've met online and we've become online and phone friends. And he has some amazing revelation, which we'll probably get into in two weeks when we come back to it, because it has to do with some of the verses that we're looking at this morning. But he's absolutely confident of certain things. But there's, I have other questions. So I'm not saying he's he's wrong and I'm right. I'm just saying I have unresolved questions with some of his establishments. And so this is why we even want to dialogue about these things with each other, because no one has the full picture. No one. So it was different from all the beasts. I was considering the horns. There was another horn. We talked about that. And then this is important because this happens throughout Scripture, particularly in the book of Daniel. I watched till thrones were put in place. That's a timing marker. So what's this, this is saying to us that the troubling events are not going to end until the thrones are set in place. We're waiting for the return, the appearance of Jesus. We're waiting for the one who comes out, out of Basra. We're waiting for the one who is going to sort it all out. We're waiting for the one who's going to rule with a rod of iron. We're waiting for even the nations to rage more like in Psalm 2. And so we're waiting for these things. And a lot of times, some of the things, and I'm okay praying over a circuit. I mean, this week with computers, I had two crashes, two different computers crashing on me. This week, you know, I want to say, peace be still to the hard drives, you know. So, I mean, so when you say, when you pray peace over something, that's good. 
But the general gist of the story is it's not going to be annulled. Some of these big events that have been laid out for us in Scripture, they're going to happen. It doesn't matter how many people get together to pray contrary. We're not going to override or overrule or outvote the purposes of Scripture, which is why we're challenged to get to the place of saying, you will be done. Okay, moving down here. I, Daniel, this is chapter 7, was, the bottom line is he's seen a lot of troublesome things. Even though he sees at the end the kingdom is given over to the saints and all's well, it ends well. We see that. You can read the teeny type. You can read it in other places in Scripture. But he says, I, Daniel, I was grieved in my spirit because he saw how much trouble had to be on earth. He knew it was forthcoming, not yet. I was grieved in my spirit within my body and the visions of my head troubled me. So he wasn't excited about this. He was upset about this. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made, me know, made known to me the interpretation of these things. And this interpretation is, um, is very, very modest compared to what we're going to get in 8. 8 is actually a heavier prophecy. And fortunately for us, we get a weightier interpretation of it. He says, those, he told me these things. He goes, those great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which arise out of the earth. So we could check that one off as we understand that in generality. But there's specifics that we're going to learn in chapter 8, two years later. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. So when this whole thing is concluded, it's not going to be a, a push-pull anymore. It's going to be goodness will reign, holiness and righteousness will reign. So then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with his feet. It was extremely destructive. It was noticeably destructive. I do not have to refer you to the news to see, you know, where, what's going on, even on Earth now, but even every war. When you see war, you, you picture destruction, you picture a need for rebuild and cleanup and all that stuff. It was particularly destructive. He trampled the residue, the ten horns that were on his head and the other horn which came up before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words whose appearance was greater than his fellows. Now this personification of the small horn as a man speaks to us actually of the, I don't want to be a spoiler, but it speaks to us of the Antichrist, that it's going to be, it's going to be personified as a, as a human being. I was watching, and the same horn, this Antichrist, was making war. And this now will, it's released here, but it goes all the way through into the final chapter of Daniel. When we saw what was going on in Daniel 2, when the statue was being interpreted, all we saw was kingdom, 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 and then we see a supernatural kingdom takes it all out. It was very, very general. Now we're seeing some specifics, but we have that under our belt, if you will, our belt of understanding. And now we're going to see what's going on here. Where are we here? Uh, I was watching the same horse making war against the saints and prevailing against them, which is another sub-theme which no one likes to hear. We like to think we're going to be victorious in the Lord. I think you skipped Amalthus, spoke pompous words. Do I have that? Where? Yeah, the, verse 20. Oh. 
Oh, yes, okay. And the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, which is another part of this, too. We, we're going to see a, 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 a braggadocio, if you will. You're going to see an attitude. And it's funny because he comes up as a little horn. Some people think that implies he comes up sort of out of a modest position, but he doesn't remain modest. He gets bold, he gets overconfident, and quite frankly, his pride will go before his destruction. So he's speaking pompous words. And pompous words, by the way, impress people. Yeah. If they didn't, people wouldn't speak pompous words. But they have a track record of, su of success, especially when people are ignorant, yeah. which is something I mentioned to a, a leader recently. And I said, well, there's no vision or no knowledge of what God's doing. You know, people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Yeah. And that, even though these are not comfortable um, themes or topics or situations to discuss, we're better off knowing who's sovereign and how it outcomes than we are ignoring these things, thinking, let's just talk about the goodness of God. This actually is the goodness of God, is that he would speak to the prophets for us so that we might be prepared people. Okay, I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. Until, up until the time that the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. So again, that's confirmed. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms. I said it last week, I've said it in earlier studies, this is, I, this is not a national kingdom. This is a spiritual kingdom. This is something that is, came right out of hell. It shall devour the whole earth, the entire earth, trample it and break it in pieces. Does that mean everybody on earth will be demonized? No. Does that mean every single city, every single house? Every, no. Will everybody be impacted around the world? I believe yes. And yet the saints who are being prevailed against are going to be out doing great exploits because they know they're God. This is what God has called us to in these days that we press into our priority. If someone said to you, I, you know, we're going to move a piano next week and I'm going, to, I'm going to need your help, you'd probably be lifting weights all week. You just say, oh, better get in shape for the piano. Well, you know, God's telling us this so that we get in shape for, for this, these things. So we, our resolve is built, our determination, our sober understanding of what he's called us to, our um, refining our ability to hear him and our response time, those things are critical now. These are the, a lot of the things that the saints are being taken through right now on earth is so that we could learn to love each other in, the, you know, in situations. We could learn to hear the voice of God when the noises, noise levels around us are really, really loud. So God is... A lot of things we're going through is because he loves us and he's preparing us for those days. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom and another shall arise after them, which is this little horn, and he shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. So he's telling us really what, what was just spoken, but he's clarifying it. He, again, shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. So there's still saints. This bad guy's on earth. We're talking about an antichrist, a church. I get this one guy who's a sweet man of God, and he's absolutely convinced that there's a rapture any day now, and 
whenever there's trouble in this life, I get an email requesting prayer and, oh God, come rapture me today. And I thought, it doesn't fit the storyline. It won't happen. I mean, he, he might personally have one. If I, you know, if someone runs me over when I'm on my bicycle, I get raptured. <laughs> but, I'm just, but I'm just saying collectively, the rapture, capital R, we, we see what's going on here. So the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, time, and half time. But, the, but at the same time, the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion, the court of God's justice. It's going to be ripped out of the hands of this pompous evil one to consume and destroy it forever. It's not, it's not going to happen again. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. So if you want to posture yourself for an inheritance, it's right here. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. This is the end of the account of the chapter 7 vision. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. So he's pondering this, and I'm not saying he didn't have anything else going on with God for two years. This is a man who's pressing in, but his next vision is two years later. And sometimes we're like, I, I love, you know, Warren, you always say, well, I haven't heard from God this week, or I'm pressing in to hear God. That's what we, that's exactly what we want to do. But sometimes the big boffle stuff doesn't happen this week and then next month and then two weeks later. And he's just calling us to press in, to learn to press in and teaching us to hear him on a daily basis. So he's orchestrating the events of our lives. He's establishing, like it says in the book of Acts, the time frames and the boundaries of our lives so that we might grope for him and find him, and you think, God, isn't there an easier way for me to, can I just voluntarily just like press in, and, and the answer is, you probably wouldn't. <laughs> so he helps us by giving us some challenges in our lives. So we're definitely not going to finish this today. Um, I was working from some of the notes from 21, which are really good, the ones that I did. I modified them, I cleaned them up a little, and actually we know more. The last two years have gotten a little, things have gotten even more clear. It's going to get more clear that the dust is going to blow away on some of the speculations of which nations and which bad guys and how this place is going to be. And there's, you know, we're going to see that. But all that's happening, you know, I've been speaking, teaching. Um, it's only been confirmed. And I'm not saying it so I'm just proud of myself. Robin came to me today and said, oh, you'd love listening to this guy. Someone has sent a video. She says, he's so accurate. He's so this. He's so that. She says, you'll love him. And I thought, I'm not looking for people to agree with me, but when someone is pressing, all I'm doing is pressing into the Word of God. If you press in, you're going to come, basically come up with the same thing. So we will have different perspectives from our knowledge base and our you know, willingness to understand and all that stuff and, and our culture. All those things, are, they, they do impact our personal understanding. But the truth is in the book, what, that, that's the magic of the alignment of the Holy Spirit, is that we press in and we learn. I think it's so cool that God does that. So I am relieved because there's a stricter judgment on teachers. Yeah, James tells us that, and so there's an accountability. I do not want to teach wrong, and if you ever think I am, please say something, because I need to learn. And I, over the years, I keep looking back on my notes, and I haven't been radically weird, but there's things that I could, I could have done better, but I didn't know better then. I always think about even teaching digitally or electronically, and I send my notes out, and they're live notes, so you can do whatever you want with them. But I thought the idea of putting them down in a book and then not being able to, you know, adjust them, 
it's funny because I'm, you know, you just learn more as we go on. It's a, it's a progression of events. Also, I've been surprised by one thing I, that has happened though is I am surprised. I'm not surprised at what's happening, at all. I'm not surprised. The, if you've been listening for the last six months, a year, you know I've been focusing on Jacob's trouble, on Jeremiah 30, and some other things, and it's taken me to some conversations with other people who study deeply. Um, so I, but I'm not surprised at anything that's going on. I am surprised at the frequency. And I am surprised at the intensity. Because we're in a situation right now where it's sort of, I'm not saying hang on, but hang on. I mean, we, we really want to, these, these are serious days. This is our priority, like when Paul says in Ephesians, and the evil day having done all to stand. These are evil days. We're living in evil days. And people, you know, and again, someone wants to answer, yes, but God is good. And the answer is yes, absolutely. He's always good. There's no question about it. He's always not willing that any perish. That's not his heart. He never put anybody here to perish. I don't believe he put Pharaoh here to perish. But when you, but when you have a world that keeps raging and raging and raging, and we see the prophetic storyline, we, we start understanding a little bit of where we are, and we start understanding where we're headed. And that's why we're here, so we can not be in shock when things happen and not be distracted by things. So God's shaking things up. And I also want to say, well, I've been studying actually that scripture that I quote every week, which Haggai 2, 6, and 7, I will shake heaven and earth to see and dry land. I will draw the nations to the desire of the nations. If you have a different translation, it reads very differently in a lot of translations. It talks about the wealth coming in, and then the question is, what is the wealth? And the word desire to nations, is it uh, Jesus, who the, every Jewish woman wanted to be the mother of the Savior? Is it, I mean, there's a whole thing that you can hold, Mishigas, if you know Yiddish, but it's a whole storyline about how many different, you go to the uh, NASB, NASV, you go to the NIV, you go to the New Living, paraphrase, you go to, and, and it's going to be different. They're all legit, and they're not contradictory, but they come from different viewpoints. But there's many scriptures that say to us, especially even in Hebrews 12, he says, I'm going to shake the daylights out of this world. I have to do that so that the things that cannot be shaken will remain. He's doing it in the saints first. He's doing it in us, which is unsettling, but it's supposed to be, actually. So when you say you will be done, it's sort of like, hang on. So I want to say, although some of the craziest and most evil events are occurring now, there's still much more in Scripture that has to occur. That's both good news and troubling news, because the whole creation groans. We know that in Romans 8. The whole creation is groaning, waiting for a revelation of the sons of God. And if you read further in that Scripture, those are the ones who are led by the Spirit. So this is not necessarily waiting for the king to return. That's that implication in Romans 8. He's actually, the, the creation is groaning for us to be full of the presence of God right now, right now, that we would be full of the presence, that there would be saints on earth who are communicating in the spirit with God and knowing to be situated, positioned in the right place at the right time for the coordinated incidences, for the salvation of souls on airplanes, neighbors, whatever. The creation is groaning, and a lot of the trouble has been a result of the the people of God over the, um, the the people of God over the centuries have industrialized a relationship with God. So they formulated it, and it's failed. And we have a very and we presented a very weak presentation of a very very powerful God. 
So I want to remind you again, this is uh, interesting. Let's see, where is it? This is, again, I, you know, prayer meetings, people want to like stop these things, God, stop this, stop that, no more wars. Well, I declare in the name of Jesus, no more wars. And you think it's, it's not going to work. I mean, it sounds, sounds really good. I'd love that. If it worked, I'd be declaring it too. But I'm going to read this again in Isaiah 14, starting in verse 24. This is Yahweh Tzivaot. This is, this is God's warrior title. The Lord of hosts, or Lord Almighty, has sworn, which I think, what does he swear on? A stack of Bibles? I've sworn. Which version? Yeah, I want to see which version he's swearing on. I like these paraphrases. Not. Not, no. Some of them are good. The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought so, it shall come to pass. Now, in keeping with our theme on who the bad guy nations are and looking at Ezekiel and looking at the list of nations that lead to charge, the final charge into Israel at the conclusion of the age, as I purpose, so shall it stand that I will break the Romans in my land. Oh, it says the Syrians in my land. Mm -hmm. I will break the Assyrian in my land. And that's sort of a shifting nickname. Sometimes it says Babylon has fallen or Assyrian, but, but they're, they're speaking about a, a group that we're going to go very specifically into this morning. And on my mountains, where is it going to be? On my mountains, tread him underfoot. At that time, meaning then, but not until, at, then his yoke shall be removed from them, meaning my people. So they're going to be under this yoke of oppression from this satanic army coming in and the people involved and engaged on that side of this battle. He says, then his yoke shall be removed from them and his burden removed from their shoulders. And then, right now, if someone said 24 and 25, where are they occurring? You would say, well, obviously, it's in his land. It's obviously talking about Israel. But then God goes and he spreads it out. And it also has to do with everything we've read so far on the four beasts and, and what's going to happen on earth. He goes, this is the purpose that, that is purposed against the whole earth. So there's a, there's a flashpoint, there's a ground zero here, and that's Israel. Because it's always been God's ground zero. This is the purpose that's purposed against the whole earth. And to emphasize that, and this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. It's very clear. It's not simply, it's Israel-centric, but it's not contained there. And then, each, then here's the challenge. And it's funny when you think of it, because the challenge is really to the reader. And you think, are you, are you talking to... Pastors, teachers, rabbis? He goes, yeah, I am. This is the purpose, the Lord of hosts' is purpose, who will annul it? His hand is stretched out and who will turn it back? He's talking to prayer, prayer leaders. He says, that's not, I mean, praying, that's why we're told in Romans 8 also, when you don't know how to pray, pray in tongues. Go to God. Develop your prayer language. Ask the Lord for an impartation of that. If that offends your religion, your, your, your denomination, good, it's supposed to. The whole book is intended to offend us. This whole book is supernatural. And then he also says this, uh, Therefore, thus says the Lord in Isaiah 10, the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrian. 
He shall strike you with a rod and lift up his staff against you in the manner of Egypt. Just a bondage he's talking about. It shall come to pass in that day, little type here, that his burden shall be taken away and his yoke from your, and his yoke from your neck and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. He says, because I've anointed my people. I know who's mine. I put a mark on my people. He says, that yoke's going to be taken away because I made a covenant with my people. And when we got saved, we came into covenant with them. And we, as a, I'm saying as a Gentile church, we're all seated, we're seated, invited with full lineage authority to sit at the Passover table. We're all seated there. When, he, when Paul talks to the Gentile churches in Turkey, he's talking to them about their father Abraham. What's that say? This adoption is a lot deeper and richer and fuller, and it comes with greater um, potential, but also greater accountability than the church. You know, the church, in a way, almost there's a tendency to want to observe what's going on in Israel right now. There, there is, I mean, in many ways, we'd rather do that. That, that makes good sense, but that's, that's, it doesn't play out in the format of actual scripture. So it will cost us to serve God. It's supposed to be costing us anyway, but it will cost us. So what we're dealing with is a book that's full of revelational prophecies, and some are more cryptic than others, and this is intentional. Okay, But the gist of the story is that evil empire, I almost highlighted this whole thing. I thought, oh, look, here's like bottom line takeaways. The gist of the story is that the evil empires of the world will be stirred up, and will come against the people of God, and the troubles will increase and reach a climax at the end of the age. At that time, the kingdom of God will be fully revealed, and you could read Ezekiel 39, the last four or five verses are spectacular. You want to see a conclusive, a little summary of what the Gentiles realize, what the Jews realize. You'll, it's great, Ezekiel 39. If you go to Ezekiel 40, you see it's a little uh, peephole into the millennium. So 39 is sort of like the wrap-up. He goes, at that time the kingdom of God will be fully revealed, and the Ancient of Days, represented by his only son, will be made manifest on earth, while the rebelling kingdoms, pretty much all of the kingdoms of the world, will be violently overthrown by the Lord of hosts, by our warrior God, by a raging, roaring lion who is more than justified. God's at-war title, Lord of hosts, and the faithful people of God will be rewarded. And so for us, the thing to do is what do we do? That is really the issue. And the story really is get, make yourself hungry. Sometimes desperation makes us hungry, which makes sense. But there's so many things that want to feed into us right now. So many things, really, even good things. There's a, you get to make decisions every day. You have a free will. That's the glory. The glory of the story is that there's predestination and there's free will. You've, some of you I might have sent out that uh, Rhode Island Reggie story, something that happened to uh, Robin and I on a trip this year that was stunning. It was all about predestination and free will and uh, soul getting saved and where we were and who we were with. Eddie Rogers, who's on this call, was with us. Right, Ed? There he is. I mean, it was crazy. It was a supernatural story that, that we got to be involved in, and it was only God could have orchestrated that. I, I should probably teach on it some Sunday because it's so encouraging. It's crazy what the Lord... But we're going to be seeing more of that, but we want to be... And I'm not saying we've attained a level. I'm simply saying I just want more. 
I just want more of that. And you want that too. You want the supernatural events in your life. Don't dial those down. Don't manufacture them. Don't inflate them. Don't, you know, we can get charismaniacal. We don't want to go there. Okay, we don't, world doesn't need charismaniacs, but it needs people who are full of the Spirit of God. So our position on earth in these days is a call to obedience, surrender, constant infilling of the Holy Spirit. This is a constant thing. I always equate it to my, the back tire on my road bike. For some reason, that tube loses air faster than the front tire. Now, every second time I ride my bike, i got to fill that back tire up. But that is what it is. That's me. I have to get filled up. I'm just, I'm not good. We went on vacation with our daughters when they were little, and I got in such a fight with one of our daughters, I realized I can't go out of the house unless I prayed. Like, Robin, she's a little bit better than me, I guess, because she could feign it a little <laughs> occasionally. But I'm just saying, no, but we've learned over the years, we got to spend time with the Lord early. Like, the, the whole first fruit thing, it does work. So are you saying no. fake it? <laughs> no, I don't mean fake it. You know what I'm saying. You're more... Is that good when you say that you're more, you're more stable than I am. So neither the church, <laughs> that's for sure. Everybody says amen to that one. Yeah, there you go. You really couldn't do two of us. The, anyway, the purpose of the plan is salvation for Jew and Gentile. Neither the church nor the synagogue will profit by self-selling the, the Bible. That's, and we've seen a self-sell. We've become so seeker-sensitive in that way, we just don't want to offend anybody. So we, we'll, you know, we'll prophesy in the back room, we'll pray in tongues in the back room, we'll take someone aside. To, and I'm not saying to make a show out of anything. I'm just simply saying when God moves, we're to be moving. And, and again, the, the other story is come to church full. I mean, if you just leave a nighttime job, if you work a night shift, and you just run into church, God bless you, you're fine. If you're a single mom driving, to, driving three kids to three different schools, your, your prayer closet could be have a steering wheel in it. So I'm just saying. But find your place in God and press into those things. So the story of the entire book is about a holy God calling fundamentally unholy people into holiness. He made a way. That salvation experience is to call us into a place of holiness. It's Amos 3 that, you know, I deal with you special because you're my kids because I want to walk intimately, intimately with you. You will get away with less when you get saved, not more. You actually get away with less because he's made an, a covenant investment. And that, when you realize that, it's actually a relief. It's actually a relief. So Psalm 118 is amazing. It, it, I don't know, got, again, teeny type, but it's all here. Well, that's not true. It starts at 22. But it says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That is looking forward, because he hasn't yet to the whole world become the chief cornerstone. And then he goes on in, in verse 26. He said, this is what God is waiting. This is what the Savior is waiting to hear from the Jewish people. It's ironic in a way, because they need to know that they're calling forth Jesus. But it's in the Jewish scriptures. This is not a New Testament verse. Jesus says, I'm going to have them write it down now. And when you guys are humble enough to get into the New Testament, you say it. But this Baruch HaBab Hashem Adonai is blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord is what God's waiting to hear from the hearts and from the, and from the lips. It's not, it's not magic words. It's not like a little you know, Jewish buzz phrase. But it has to do with that. He's waiting for the people to say, we welcome you. And then he says this, he says, God is the Lord. Why have we have blessed you from the house of the Lord? God is the Lord and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar is profound. This is a living sacrifice and they had horns. They had like sort of 
hook horns on the end of the altar and they would take a living sacrifice and tie it there because a living sacrifice didn't want to lay on the altar. So they would have to tie it down. That's your will. That's your will. Your will is alive and well and doesn't want to stay on the altar. And this is the same chapter that says this is the day the Lord has made. This is daily. This is more than once daily. This is you, And this is not a condemnation when you find yourself warring against God. It's not like, oh, I'm a dirtbag, I'm a loser, I should, know how to, I should know to do this. There's a constant battle for your will versus the will of God. And a lot of times, especially if you're a strong-willed person and God has imparted some leadership components in you, there's a battle going on between your will and his will. But he's saying, tie it down every single day. I love that. It's a, to me, it's actually what we have to offer God is your will. Okay, so let's see if we can get down here to uh, where are we at. Okay, we should really get started in chapter <laughs> 8. Okay. Okay, the purpose of our own study is manifold information, revelation, preparation. Okay, I'm, I'm going to move forward in this. Okay, I'm going to go down here to, um, well, I'm going to do that. So the pur purpose of our study is manifold. Okay, so obviously we want information totally, and, and with that we get revelation, but we also want transformation. And it is your mind, the renewing of your mind is a transforming work. So this is good because it helps you to think more clearly because the world is bombarding you with a philosophy and quite frankly a false theology on how to live your life. Look out for number one, if you, you know, the Lord helps those who help themselves, you know, I haven't found that scripture. The Lord helps those who can't help themselves. I'm willing to admit it, and then they press into him, and you think, oh, this works way better than me trying to help myself. But there's, a, but there's also a preparation in these days, which we spoke about earlier, but it's also an expectation. I believe when we pray in the Holy Spirit, we're expecting the promises of God to be made manifest in, in our lives, not just like our fiscal or financial needs or health needs, which are totally legit, but even for the, our loved ones and the people around us, that's why praying in the Spirit is so, so, so wonderful. That's why Jesus said, as urgent as the message is to go out, don't go anyplace until you fill the Holy Spirit. And we have sent people out, the church has sent people out for 2,000 years without an impartation of the Holy Spirit. And you wonder, some of them, God had great grace and all, some of them there was damage done. There was a misrepresentation of who God is. So one of my old California license plates is Hosea 10, 12, and it, also, and it says, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. And we were in a little men's Bible thing yesterday morning, and someone was actually, he didn't quote the scripture, but in essence he was saying this truth, and it's basically taking a pickaxe to your own life. It's basically breaking up, your, it's, it's you identifying the hard pack in your life. And that hard pack could be scars from pain, it could be ignorance, it could be just not knowing, it could be whatever it is. But this, this is basically saying, if you, will take, if you will prayerfully come before God and say, you know, evaluate me, audit me, you know, all that kind of stuff, search me, prove me, test me, try me, he says, and God reveals things to you, take a pickaxe to those places and break it up because the righteousness, the outpouring that we're told to ask for in the book of Zechariah, you know, ask the Lord for rain, the time of latter rain, he'll send thunder and lightning and all the good stuff. He says, you want your parched, hard-packed land to be broken up in advance. If you were a farmer, 
and you're and you had hard packed land and you knew it was going to rain, you'd be looking forward to the rain. You would, you would beat up that soil, right, Michelle? You'd beat up that soil. Michelle. Oh, Amy. <laughs> you would beat it. Oh, that's so funny, <laughs> Amy. Yeah, you would beat it up. You would beat it up. Anybody here is farmed. Your wife, Michelle. You just beat up the backyard. There you go. Five acres. Beat up? Uh, about a quarter acre. And there you go. Okay. <laughs> oh, we were last night, we were five acres. We were on five acres, yeah. But you beat it up. You beat it up. And he's telling us to beat up, break up our own fellow ground. And, and that's a hard one. That's extremely uncomfortable. And also in Jeremiah 4, both of these were prophesied in the midst of trouble, by the way. So that these were in corrective places, but there's still promises that we don't have to be in trouble to get to those places. So chapter 8 is this profound link, and I'm going to go down here to um, one thing, and then we'll go on to it. Okay, Daniel 9. And this had to do with the misinterpretation by most of the, by most of the church, most of the theologians, that it's going to be a revived Roman Empire that is going to lead the assault on Israel. And it says here, Daniel 9, verse 26, and after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. So we understand who that is, we understand the when, and we understand he's cut off. And around that time, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood, till the end of the war desolations are determined. So until the end, until the... Ancient of Days is seated until the Lord has come back. All that stuff, it's going to be desolation. Desolation here is a word not simply of emptiness, but it's actually it's a bigger word. It has to do with destruction. If you study the Hebrew word that they use, where they put in the word uh, desolation in English. So what he's saying is he's confirming everything that we know, but he's saying the people of the prince. And last week we spent a lot of time addressing this. You could read uh, Publius Tacitus and Flavius Josephus. These are two his legit historians who wrote about the era around 70 AD. And the people, the Roman army in those times, employed local enemies of conquered nations. They were already inspired to hatred. And the people of the prince who was to come, the, the Roman Empire, when, they, when Titus came in, much of the troops that came into Israel and Jerusalem destroyed the 70 AD temple were Syrians. They were Arabs. They came in and they destroyed. It actually puts a prophetic marker on what we see in chapter 8. So I'm not just letting Rome off the hook. First of all, he's talking about the Roman Empire. He's not talking about the, the Roman Catholic Church. He's talking about the Roman Empire. The, when people go and they go, oh, the word Rome is in it. It has to be the, it has to be the Catholics. It doesn't fit. It's going to be someone out of the Middle East. And we addressed this last week with Publius Tacitus and Flavius Josephus. They all spoke of the Roman army, and they hired local people who hated the Jewish people. And by the way, if you read the news, you see what's going on right now. This is an ancient, ancient hatred. And this confirms why, when it says that Syria will come down with tambourines in Isaiah 30, or what we said, Babylon is fallen, like in the book of uh, Revelation, or what we read earlier about Assyria, it, it's put in place. It's in scripture. And it would actually be torturous for us to um, try to 
put someone else in place as being the lead army against the people of God. So now we're coming into eight. Everything that God says has to happen. It's critical for us to know this. And we're not going to get finished, by the way, this morning on chapter eight anyway. But it's important for we, that we understand it. In Isaiah 28, verse 9, a question, a rhetorical question is asked, and then it's answered. Whom will he teach knowledge and whom will he make to understand the message? And then he talks about young ones, ones who are no longer nursing, those just weaned from milk, those just drawn from breasts. And he says, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. This is a progressive education that God is calling us into. So again, it's not a condemnation. It's not, I should have known this earlier. It's, we're here. And we're learning, and we're proceeding to learn and grow and mature. Those verses, if you study Isaiah 28, what you come away with is it was supposed to be for their blessing. It was supposed to be for their maturing. It was supposed to be for their growing so they could then turn around and mentor others. It was supposed to be that. And instead, because of their disobedience, it became an unraveling. So in essence, I always equate this with gravity. Gravity could be your friend or your, or your enemy. If you fall off a roof because you're not careful, it's your enemy. If you lay your tools on the ground and they don't float up and hit you in the face, it's your friend. So line upon line and precept upon precept has to do with God saying this is the way the kingdom works. And so he's calling us to understand that. So when he lays out things progressively, especially with, within time frames, it's so that we understand we're not going to hop, skip, and jump and either avoid something or cause something to happen early. So let's now go on to chapter 8 here. We, first of all, we do well to understand that the revelations of Scripture are purposely time-sensitive. That's critical throughout Scripture. We know that, and you know, we've had teachings on that. Daniel 8.26, at the end, it says, the vision of the evenings and mornings, which we will get into next session, which is true, which was told is true, therefore seal up the vision for it refers to many days in the future. So a lot of these things that he's saying, which are coming to pass in our season, were sealed up all these years. And Daniel 12, at the conclusion of the book, Daniel is told in uh, verses 4 and 9, Daniel shut up the words and sealed the book until the time of the end. And later he says, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. It's clear. Now, I've had interesting dialogues with writers and theologians that now that we're in the time of the end, it's all open. I don't even know that it's, I don't even believe it's all open yet. There's things that we can't identify yet. So we're still in progress. We still want to remain prayerful. Okay, let's get to eight. All right, here we go. What time is it? It is uh, 10.55. We're going to Daniel 8. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time. I saw in the vision, and it so happened that while I was looking, that I was in Shushan, the citadel in a fortress, which is in the province of Elam, and I saw in the vision that was by the river Ulai. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and there standing beside the river was a ram, which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. It has to do with two kingdoms, and one became prominent early, the bigger one became prominent second. We're going to see the description of that. I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward, so that no animal could withstand this ram, nor was there any that could deliver from his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. And as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west. And we're going to learn later that Greece 
the AG, the Aegean Sea means goat sea. The whole imagery of Greece is goat. While I was considering, suddenly a male goat, but the angel tells us in a couple of verses anyway, so I mean that's historically accurate and geographically accurate, but the angel tells us. The goat came from the west, it was obviously Greece is west of this other kingdom, across the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground. It was flying at a violent speed, very much like what we saw earlier in chapter 7. And the goat had a notable horn, which we'll we'll know, we will learn, is Alexander the Great, between his eyes. Then he came to the ram that had two horns. He came up to the ram, who was busy conquering himself, it had, and I'd seen standing beside the river and ran at him with furious power, and I saw him confronting the ram. He was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, and broke his two horns. Took out the ram. The spirit of, of, of you know, forceful advance gets taken out by this other beast, breaks the two horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast down to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. This is God orchestrating events in these kingdoms. And Daniel is standing there watching this stuff. Now remember, Belshazzar was still on the throne. So the, so the Babylonian, uh, the Mede-Persian Empire thing and the Babylonians, that was still going on in place. He's looking forward to Greece rising up and taking out those empires that were in the Fertile Crescent. Therefore, the male goat grew very great, but when he became strong, the large horn was broken, and in its place of it were four notable ones that came up toward the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came a little horn, which grew up exceedingly great toward the south and toward the east and toward the glorious land. And it grew up to the host of heaven and cast down some of the host, which has to do again with the saints having issues with these demonic creatures, and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host, and by him, by the command of the small horn, basically, the daily sacrifices were taken away and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. What he's saying here is that as this horn came up from the ten that we read earlier, he starts doing great damage and they are doing damage to the kingdom of God. Some of this is sort of happening right now, but it's not happened yet. Some of this is a waiting occurrence. So all the come quickly Lord Jesus prayers, they're hopeful, but they're not going to happen because we have to, we're going to have to walk through line upon line and precept upon precept. To me, this verse is, I find myself mentioning it often, because of transgression, he's talking about the small horn who's evil. Because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices, and he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. And it makes you wonder, who's transgression? Why would someone want, in essence, feeding the beast? Who's feeding the beast here? It's sin feeding the beast. And it can be looked at in several ways. You could say, well, it's the other ten horns, it's, it's the sinful conditions on earth. Another, another possible theory is it's the sin of the saints. It could be the sin of the people of God. Through this whole thing, Israel still needs to get saved. It's very, very sobering. It, we don't realize the damage that our sin does to the world around us. You know, we, sometimes we want to say, well, it's grace. We live under grace. We do. It's no, it's no question about it. We live under grace. It's evident. But we have no concept. Somehow, sin is empowering a satanic army here. 
It's another reason why we want to be holy. Not simply for ourselves, not simply for our kids, not simply for our neighborhood or our church. But we sort of have a tendency to sort of fall back into that place of complacency that when things are tough, we sort of rise up to the occasion and well, we should, and that's good and God bless us for it. But this verse is, puts a chill in me a little bit because of transgression. An army was given over to him. It's like, what are we doing? Why are we wasting time? Are we pressing in the way we should? Daniel, to this point, has never has revealed to his readers even any thought about a when. He's never asking when, which is sort of interesting. All these things are generalities, and there's no whens attached. There's no time markers on them. And so when you go back, if you look at, especially like um, Sir Isaac Newton, who was a praying man of God, Isaac Newton writes a really great book. I think it's on Daniel. Is it Daniel or Revelation? I read it many years ago. And he says, this is this, and this is this, and this is this, and this was this, and this was this battle, and this was this thing. And when we start getting into 10 and 11, most students of Scripture believe that almost all of those things, if not all of them, have been fulfilled. And I always sort of chuckle. I have that image that I did, that little graphic of, of Daniel you know, hitting a home run. And he said, the guy's batting a thousand. Prophetically, the man has batted a thousand so far. So the things that haven't happened yet that Daniel prophesies, I wouldn't bet against this man. The odds are really poor. If you're going to bet against a prophet, don't save your money. Don't bet against Daniel. And so, what he, so what's going on here, God's teaching Daniel something here, and Daniel doesn't yet know to ask when. He's being taught to ask when. This is sort of cool in a way. Then he, Daniel says this, Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that certain one who was speaking, How long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? It's almost like Daniel might have thought, Gee, that's a really good question. I never even thought to ask. He never thought, there was never a when attached. I think when he got called into the Belshazzar's orgy, for the writing on the wall, I think he probably remembered this. Remember, that happened. That chapter happened prior to this chapter. He's saying, oh, these things are happening right now. And we are getting that in our spirits. I know if you're a praying saint, there's things going on in your spirit right now. You're getting stirred. I mean, the saints, this is good. This is not panic, but you're getting stirred, realizing things aren't like they used to be. This is, things are different now than they were three years ago, eight years ago, 10 years ago. I remember 2001, and you know, again, I was in New York during the, I watched the towers go down, and you know, people were saying, "Well, we really want to see is, you know, uh, you know, uh, are these who are the bad guys?" Are these? I read something from David Parson, and he spoke about hotheads, uh, Islamic hot, uh, Muslim hotheads, thinking that was a radical, extreme event. No, that's actually fundamentalism. That's not hothead. If you could read, that's why I'm, I keep saying read. A Mideast Beast or the Islamic Antichrist. These books are very, very clear. It's not hothead. Those are fundamentalists. And they probably look at a lot of their brethren as being lukewarm. Radical Christianity is obedience and holiness and moving in authority and power of God. Radical Islam is doing exactly what we're seeing right now. Cyrus's name meant keeper of the furnace. He wasn't a, he didn't, you know, fire pottery. <laughs> When Daniel was thrown in the furnace, they were able to look down the... What? When, when um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in the furnace, they were able to see in, to watch them fry. When Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, that door got sealed. They, they were all about murderous 
things, the beheadings in the book of Revelation that we used to look at 10 years ago, we'd look at them, we think, oh, that's like a, a synecdoche, that's like, you know, martyrs, they got martyred some other way. Now, suddenly, after October 7th, we're not surprised with beheadings. These things are happening on our shift. So he says, now he's asking, oh, look, here's a question. It's literally, they're almost like the grooming Daniel to say when, because he's listening to a dialogue between two holy individuals, and he says, and he said to me, for 2,300 days, and the sanctuary will be cleansed. Well, we're going to, I'm not going to get into this this morning, because I want to finish. We're going to go back and touch on this, because if you look at all these different translations, you can see I have NASB, NIV, ASV, ESV, CJB, all of them. They're all use the word different. It's going to be restored to its rightful state. It's going to be cleansed. It's going to be sanctified. It's going to be victorious. It's, it's some, all of these things, they're realizing that something good is going to happen after 2,300 days. And cryptically, my friend Dan Bruce did a whole long counting of Passovers, and it took him from a certain battle all the way up, Passover by Passover by Passover by Passover, through the B.C. years to the A.D. years, realizing there was no zero year, and it ended. The Passover that completed this marker was the one before June 7, 1967, when the half-tracks came into Jerusalem. Very sobering. And at the same time, I can show you some other theories that other people have, and they can, and they can fit dates too. So do we know for certain? No. I think Daniel Bruce got it pretty close. I think he might have gotten it very close. But we still, if that word is translated, I am going into this whole thing. It's Israel, after all those years, Israel laid hold of the, of the Temple Mount. But it's still not holy. It's still not sanctified. And the people still aren't saved. And we have all these years progressing since 1967. And we're thinking, Lord, how much more has to occur? Is out of 2,300 years over? Has that marker been established? We don't know, but they're all pointing forward into these days. So now I'm going to go down. I'm going to spend a little more time. So this is amazingly cool. This is a very tough chapter to understand. And our computer crash and everything else didn't help. And me learning how to use a different computer to write some of this today. Daniel 8, verse 15. Then it happened, when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning, that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, who called and said, Gabriel, so they're talking to this guy, Gabriel, the angel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face, but he said to me, understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. No one has ever referred to 70 AD, by the way, as the time of the end. This has nothing to do with that. Now, as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and stood me upright. I mean, he was, I don't want to say manifesting, but he, he was down. He was down for the count. And he said, made, he stands him upright. He says, look, I am making known to you what shall, be ha what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation. The indignation is the indignation of God. God is indignant over the sin on earth and the raging higher quality, this excessive indignation that's going to be ripe and ready for judgment hasn't happened yet, but it will. He says, I am making known to you what will happen in the latter time of the indignation for at the appointed time when God has established it, 
the end shall be. So here's the indignation. Isaiah 30, reference this, verse 27. Behold, and look at the, um, if someone said, what's the gist of this story? Is it a wedding? It's not a wedding. Behold, the name of the Lord comes from afar, burning with his anger, and his burden is heavy. His lips are full of indignation, and his tongue like a devouring fire. His breath is like an overflowing stream which reaches up to the neck to sift the nations with the sieve of futility. And there shall be a bridle in the jaws of the people, causing them to err. God is, this is exactly, well, not exactly, but it's similar to what happened with Pharaoh. God had basically said, enough's enough. It's time for judgment. It's time for massive judgment. It's also like it was at the time of the flood. That the level, the index of wickedness had so blossomed to its maturity. He says, God's saying here, he says, he's going to sift the nation. It's going to be futile to them. And there shall be a bridle in the jaws of the people causing them to err. If you go to Zechariah, he basically says, I'm going to draw these nations in basically with a bridle. You shall, and meanwhile, this is the call to worship. This is not just a call to talent or songwriting or singing or warming up before a message. This is a call to Holy Spirit-filled worship. He says, you shall have a song as in the night when a festival is kept and gladness of heart as when one goes with a flute to come into the mountain of the Lord to the mighty one of Israel. And then it goes on to tell us that Assyria will go down, come down with tambourines. This is prophetic worship. This is all about prophetic worship. And then he goes on, the, the, Gabriel, it says, the ram which you saw having the two horns, here we go. They are the kings of Media and Persia. Now we know the bear had three ribs. And we said they were Media, they were Persian, there was another place, Lydia, there was three. But here he's focusing on the two main ones. And the male goat is the kingdom of Greece. So he deciphers that. That one we could tuck away, we know it's told us. That's scripture. The large horn that is between its eyes is its first king. That king is Alexander the Great. Even though his daddy was a king, the first real international conquering king of Greece was Alexander the Great. And he was furious at the Mede-Persians because they had defeated his dad. And he came after them with a special degree, a higher intensity of hatred. He was the goat charging up against that other animal and it could not withstand him. He was fierce. He came, he was a conqueror. He had a very brief period of life. He died in his 30s. Some people say 32, 33. Some say alcoholism. Some say venereal disease. Whatever it was, he wasn't living well. And he was a wild man. And he was represented by the four horns in the, in the other prophecy. But here, it's a goat with one horn. That large horn is, is between his eyes as the first king. As for the broken horn and the four that stood up in its place, so now, this is not to be confused with the picture I put there to confuse you in our notes, the ten horns. As for the broken horn and the four that stood up in its place, four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation. So, Alexander the Great is taken out, he dies prematurely, has no kids, and it gets divided up into four kingdoms. As for the broken horn that stood up in its place, four kingdoms shall arise. And this is David Pawson saying, since Alexander had no heirs to succeed him, the kingdom was divided several years later among his four generals. This is a long time in the future when Daniel's having this vision. This is contributing to his thousand percent prophetic accuracy. 
But the divided kingdom of Greece never had the same power Greece had enjoyed under Alexander. To Ptolemy was given Egypt and parts of Asia Minor, which would be Turkey. Cassander was given the territory of Macedonia and Greece. Lysimachus was given Thrace and parts of Asia Minor. Seleucius was given the remainder of Alexander's empire, which included Syria, Israel, and Mesopotamia. That's where the little horn comes out of. So this is a straight line. So we go from Babylon to Greece to the dispersion into the four kingdoms. Out of one of the four kingdoms, the Seleucids comes the Antichrist. This vision starts at the days of Daniel, skips over some empires that are proceeding during the course of human history, and it goes right to the conclusion of the age. <clears throat> so the people of the prince who is to come, we know who they are, we know where they're from. Back to Daniel 8. <clears throat> and in the latter time of their kingdom, those kingdoms to some degree we know remain, their vestiges, when the transgression to have reached its fullness. Isn't that crazy? When the transgressors have reached their fullness. It's just like the days of Noah, where it says, Then the Lord looked and saw the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It is not yet, it also has to do with um, the iniquity of the Amorites. It has to do with them. It had reached a full blossom when God was talking about moving in the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt and then bringing them in. The wickedness of the land of Canaan had not yet reached full bloom, so the timing of God to do that was totally orchestrated. God will make things beautiful in this time. That's Ecclesiastes 3. There's a time for every purpose. And I heard Ken Fish say it recently. There's a time for war. We're in a time of war right now. And we're not going to annul these things. Daniel 8. In the latter times of their kingdoms, a king shall arise having fierce features who understands sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. This is the satanic anointing that's on the Antichrist. This is the out of the little horn, the horn with eyes. This is the satanic anointing. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. There's martyrdom in those days. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes and all the people. He's going to declare himself as God on earth. That's, that's the Antichrist. And so how does this, what's the conclusive confrontation? We look to go to Isaiah 63, verse 1. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? You know, people sometimes think that Jesus lands on the Mount of Olives. It says his feet shall stand there. It looks like he comes up out of someplace else. It doesn't say that he lands on the Mount of Olives. Who is this who comes, but of course he could travel anyway once. I'm not going to argue with him. I'm simply saying it doesn't say that when he first returns, that he returns there. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra, this one who is glorious is in apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength? I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. And then there's a question, because the man is covered in red. And they said, why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? Like one, not that he was treading in a winepress. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger. 
made them drunk in my fury and brought down their strength to the earth. So we see what's happening when the Lord returns. It's a violent overthrow of these nations. It's absolutely violent. We're not going to be presenting a saved world. This is a very common, it's called dominionism. We're not going to be presenting a saved world to our Savior when he comes back. He's going to be rescuing his people. There's going to be people in other nations coming back into Israel. There's going to be saints incarcerated. There's going to be martyrdom. There's going to be cleanup. We know that. The scriptures tell us that in Zechariah. There's going to be cleanup for extended periods of time in Ezekiel. We see this. This is the who will and know it story. Through his cunning, the little horn's cunning, he's saying, he shall cause deceit to prosper in, under his rule, which we're seeing now. We always talk about fake news. And you always hear me say that, you know, fake news began in the garden. But it will reach its extreme level in these days. It's all going to be about lies. Even look at AI. I was reading something recently on, on the next Windows version. It's going to have AI embedded in it. So even if you think, oh, I'm just going to stay away from that, I don't want, I don't want anything to do with it, it has, it has something to do with you. So I'm not saying everything is fake, but everything can be faked in these days. This is why we want to have the Word of God in us. Yeah. This is why we want to be the people who yada their God so that we could accomplish the great exploits. And this is why you want to learn to hear his voice now. This is why you want to learn now. Even in making errors or mistakes, I'm not saying it's good to make them, but we will make them. We say things, we, you know, we, again, God gives you 20 words, you prophesy 30. Don't go there. We have to learn. It's okay. We'll learn. He's willing to work with us. He's teaching us line upon line, precept upon precept. But God's stirring us and moving us to grow us, to get us out of some kind of religious complacency. We really love to be complacent. Or we like the things that are comfortable, and we're offered a comforter, not comfort, in that sense. So the proof verse of the timing again, it's about the entire vision from the time of activation, the ram versus the goat, to the four kings, you know, the stage set for the Antichrist. And then he says in verse 26, and the vision of the evenings and mornings, which was told is true, which is sort of funny, as if the rest wasn't, but it all is. It's like when Jesus says, verily, verily, like, what, are you kidding me when you told me all the other stuff, you know? <clears throat> and the vision of the evenings and the mornings, which was told is true, and then Daniel is told this at the end of this chapter, therefore seal up the vision for or first of many days in the future. So he's saying it's ongoing. You're actually igniting this. I've spoken into you, Daniel, so you can speak these things forth and literally into the spiritual atmosphere. And these things have been progressing over all these centuries, but he says it refers to many days in the future. And I, Daniel, having encountered this revelation firsthand, first time, he goes, fainted. He goes down again. This was, not, I mean, it's great to receive something from God, but he's overwhelmed here by what he had just seen. He understood the intensity. This is why I believe when he went into Belshazzar with the writing on the wall, he goes, he's probably going, here we go. Here we go. You know, the, remember when Nebuchadnezzar, before he had his parking lot experience, he's walking around saying, hey, isn't this place beautiful for my majesty? And look, it's like, it's cool, man. It's like smooth sailing with Nebi. That's, you know, he was sort of thinking everything's cool. So just, we're going to be the empire. Who's going to move us? That's the, that's the arrogance of success and power and authority, and there's part of us in the spirit of people, you want safety, there's nothing wrong with it, but our safety is in the will of God. 
Our safety is in him. It's not in, you know, weaponry. It's not in a fence around your house or a moat or alligators or whatever. That's not it. Our safety is in our Savior. And Israel has to realize that right now. And, and safety is, comes with holiness. It's the only safe place is going to be holiness. And God, in his mercy, is going to allow us to see that unholiness is unsafe. He's, we're already seeing it. But we don't want to learn that lesson over and over and over again. Particularly, we don't want to call it grace. So he is flipped out. He's fainted. He's sick for days. So he basically had to take time off. He had sick leave. After what I rose and went about the king's business, he was working for the king. He was a, he was a, he was a counselor to the king. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. So he probably told others, and they just looked at him and shook their heads. But we needn't faint. This is cool. Jude says this, but you, beloved, verse 20, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. How clear is that? Keeping yourselves, this is a self-maintenance, this is for you. Keeping yourselves in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ in, unto eternal life. And then he says this, this, is, this has to do with revival, including the return of fallen saints, I believe. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. God has called us to be rescuers in these days. And we're seeing saints come back to faith in these days, which is spectacular. And we're to restore them in the spirit of humility. We're told that. I think James tells us that. But we're going to see that we're going to, it's going to get sloppy. Revival is always sloppy. Salvation of a multitude of people, it's going to be sloppy. It's going to require a flexibility, especially for seasoned saints. If you've, you know, been around the block and you say, oh, I've seen that before. I've seen that before. I've seen that before. But we're going to be seeing things happen in these days that are going to, they're going to interrupt our holy plans sometimes. And we need to be in the spirit to understand that which interruption is holy and which isn't. And just ending here, I love it, in Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. You sort of think, how am I going to make it? This is an awful story. Daniel 8 is not a easy, you don't leave easy. But then we're told this, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And to present you faultless. You're thinking, do you know who you're talking to? You're talking to me. <laughs> but he says, he can do that. Because that which he's begun in you, he can complete. But you keep your hand firmly in his. To present you faultless and before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. You want to talk about, oh, happy day. Remember that song? Was it the Edwin Hawkins singers? Oh, happy day. You know, when Jesus walked. It's going to get even better when he shows up again. You want to talk about an oh happy day. You want to talk about a celebration. This is going to be the celebration. And to present you faultless to, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen to that. Amen. That we get to be here in these days. Amen. I mean, that is so spectacular. When you think of all the stuff going on, and you think of the challenges that lay ahead, and then we're promised that he's able to keep us from stumbling. Peter said that too. Peter said, if you do, Peter, Mr. Stumble, if you will, Peter said, if you do these things, you'll never stumble. He knew it. He, didn't, he wasn't walking in condemnation, but he also understood it's, it has to do with human weakness, but we don't, God did not set us up to stumble. He set us up to succeed. 
So, Lord, we bless you and thank you that you set us up and you called us again, Lord, for such a time as this, Lord. Like it says in the book of Esther, Lord, that was a tough time and these are tough times. And in fact, out of your own lips, Jesus, you said these would be the toughest times ever on earth. And so we thank you for the amount of grace that is being poured out even now. God, the dreams, the visions, the chance encounters, God, the coordinated incidences, God, we thank you for that. We would thank you, God. We bless you in this, and we ask God, again, if, if this is a, the gospel according to me, it would, uh, it would be deleted. If it's your gospel, God, it would, uh, it would cement us yet again further into a dedication and a determination, God, that we are yours. God, and again, we say yes to your will in our lives, God. We say yes to your will. Your will be done in our lives, Jesus. God, we don't want to take that back. We say your will be done, God. Pour your spirit out upon us. Give us wisdom. Give us understanding, God. Give us the fortitude that is required in these days. Your grace is always sufficient, and we thank you for that. Lord, as we unmute our mics, Lord, we want to, uh, God, it's not just a cheering section, but we do want to say in one accord, we want to say that magic word, uh, amen, to say, God, that we are in complete agreement with your purposes for us. We love you, Jesus, and your people's at amen. 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 Is anybody out there saying yes to God?